I'm Max. I'm Quill. I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Max, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? I'm Max Yamasaki. I make robots and video games in Seattle, and today I would like to plug uh, cohost.org, a social site. Um, it seems kind of neat. Yeah. I, it seems I, like... I signed up kind for of that, a, like, yesterday... And then they were yeah. like, you need an invite to post. And I was like, well, never mind. And then like today they said, hey, you're fully activated. So I guess they changed their mind about that. Yeah. When I signed up and I have not been able to post yet. Uh, but for me, they told me it said you will be able to post in about a day or two, uh, which is an interesting strategy. Weird. <laughs> uh, they also they don't have any ads and no ad tracking and they're they're going to go off of the pattern of like just paying for a premium subscription which seems like you're allowed to upload higher resolution photos is the the benefit that it sounds like they're going to have so far okay i thought you were going to say paying allows you to post no that would be good <laughs> uh <laughs> seems seems optimistic i'm not really holding out hope that they're going to stay you know a non ad driven company assuming they succeed at all but for now it's good yeah i like the format uh i would like to pitch people on the format which seems to be it's a bit like twitter and a bit like tumblr um mm, yep but without weird tumblr nesting uh and it seems like it's like if twitter was uh oriented towards slightly longer form things so am i right in that you can't see who people are following you can make that public but it is not by default Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So when I joined Mastodon uh, and continuing to, de to this day, when I use Mastodon, the vast majority of people I follow are people that I, I found by looking at other people's follow lists. Yeah. Um, which makes, uh, since, since co-host explicitly does not do like in your face discovery, uh, that makes voluntary, like I'm going to go look for things, discovery dip more difficult as well. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, we'll see if it, it holds out. I, I'm i interested because so far I've found people uh, in a similar manner to how I found interesting people to follow in like 2005, uh -huh. uh, <laughs> which is just like, oh, like someone recommended this person or like, uh, like reshared this person's blog entry uh, or I just know them in real life or I see someone somewhere else on the internet. So I'm like, oh, right. that's pretty good. Yeah, everybody I've followed on so far on co-host was someone who I found about, I found them through Twitter. They tweeted <laughs> like, here's my co-host. So I guess twi Twitter is co-host's discovery apparatus. And co-host does in fact have co-host Twitter listed at the bottom of co-host. So. There, there you go. Huh. <laughs> did I did I miss somebody? Who who did I? Oh yeah. Uh, go, go ahead. <laughs> so yeah, I'm. I'm Quill. I uh, make computers break, and I also make bad music on the internet. I guess I my plug would be you can check out my bad music. It's C A X T E U one R W E M. Uh, again, that's what I just said. Yeah, and uh, I make music that's supposed to be not very enjoyable. My favorite kind. I am not on co-host. Good for you. Nobody should be on social media. <laughs> I keep signing up for various social media things, posting like twice and then forgetting about forever. Yeah. 
Are we ready to start on some topics? Sure. Yep. Quill, your topic is maybe I just don't like apples. Yeah. So uh, for most of my life, I've been allergic to apples. Well, it's a weird sort of thing where technically I'm allergic to the things that grow around apples that I eat. So it's kind of like a allergy by proxy. Uh, but a couple years ago, I started going to an allergist, got tested, and started going through like allergy treatments where they just kind of inject you with your allergens to build a, uh, a tolerance up. Uh, so I've gotten to the point now where I can uh, eat apples again. Well, eat apples. I, I don't think I've actually had just a regular raw apple since I was probably under 10. Uh, and being the sort of person I am, I've been... Uh, there, there's a ton of different types of apples. I started buying a bunch of different varieties, and I have a spreadsheet of what I think of all of them. And so far, all of my notes have been very underwhelming. It's made me realize that because apples have been forbidden, the, literally a forbidden fruit for most of my life, that now going back and trying apples, I'm not even sure if I like apples. They're definitely not the best. They're definitely not my favorite fruit or even close to it. If you thought of like the most fruit fruit. Right. Apple is the thing that A is for. Right. A is for apple. Exactly. But like of of all the canonical fruit, I would say apples are like at the bottom of the list for me. Like just not very flavorful, not very interesting texturally or pleasant texturally. They do look cool to eat, though. Like when someone bites into a fresh apple, it just looks good it it yeah. looks like it's going to be so flavorful and juicy and crisp it sounds good like biting into an apple sounds delicious uh should i be the the apple uh enthusiast or do, apologist do you, do you well only if you want to be i'll do it I'd, I'd like to okay i'm in washington the where the world's most apple growing place yeah <laughs> uh <laughs> But um, Fuji apples from Japan are not the same as Fuji apples in America. Uh, and Fuji apples in Japan, there's like a specific thing that people look for in an apple. Uh, and it's called like the honey of the apple. And you sometimes see it on American apples, but I feel like people don't uh, prioritize it or like breed for it here. Mm -hmm. The honey of the apple is when you like cut open an apple and near the core of the apple is like uh, like to the center there's a little bit of like darker kind of richer color that it kind of looks like the inside of the apple is wet or something. Hmm. Uh, and that's a signal in Japan to like what a good apple is. Um, and you sometimes see it on apples here, but it's kind of random. And I don't know how they like breed for it or select for it in harvest, but sometimes in like nicer grocery stores in Japan, there'll be like a pile of apples that's like, Here's the the individually wrapped like extra honey apples where like most of the apple is that like kind of darker color inside. Uh, and they're kind of a different texture. There's like the ideal of the crisp apple where it's like really crunchy and really sweet. Uh, and I've, I've had many apples here that are like that. So it, I think it's very fair not to like apples. What, do, what is each of yours favorite fruit? Of the ones that I've been able to eat, grapes of the ones that i have not been bold enough to try eating again probably either plums or cherries what about you jim grapes are up there cherries are up there yeah i like the stone fruit hmm. you know grapes have got a grapes have got to take it just because 
of the ease of eating them. Like mm. probably cherries have them beat in terms of flavor, but you have to pit them. Mm. And so it's Or you have to really be tough and, and right, really yeah, my, my just teeth, go for it. I have to trust in my teeth that they won't lose pieces. They won't chip away. Do you think people get metal grills for that purpose? Where they like you get like some nice teeth guards and then you can you can really chomp it out uh like into a stone fruit. I feel like that's what grills are for. Yeah. They're a signal that you like stone fruit a lot and mm-hmm. you and you don't have time to deep hit them. I could just get a, a cherry juicer that lives in my mouth so that instead of eating the cherry, I could just stomp on it with one chomp and then all the juice flows down my gullet and then I spit out the rest. That's the type of cyberpunk future that I want to see depicted. I want I want more specific. When everything just has generic computer in it, mm-hmm. that's, that's no fun. Or that's a limited amount of fun. I want really specific uses that show you a lot of how that person uses their body yes right auto juicer is true transhumanism yeah or like i want an orifice uh on near like in my mouth that i can just pour flour and water into and then like noodles are extruded into my mouth wow yeah or maybe even not flour and water maybe i want it to husk it too like uh i just like throw wheat into my mouth and then it becomes noodles for me well, I like the I like the flour and water one because you know how water fountains have those two holes. Oh yeah! Like and, and water comes out of both of them. Uh huh. Some water could just come out of one, and then flour could come out of the other, and then yeah. it forms pasta in your mouth. Mm-hmm. I do believe if you chew on wheat, it does kind of become glutinous and become almost like a gum. So mm. that's not quite pasta, but it it's almost the pasta. Pasta gum. I've never had pasta-flavored gum. <laughs> if you had a savory gum, what flavor would you want? Well, now I can only think of pasta-flavored gum. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely orange chicken. <laughs> that? Do you you don't think your brain would read that as like the chicken being like way overcooked? Like... <laughs> I would want the gum to be crispy as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> the thing about orange chicken is it is pretty sweet, so it does kind of feel like it would just be a vaguely salty orange gum let's <laughs> you make it sound so appetizing <laughs> uh i have a personal fruit scale that i use yeah let's um, hear it watermelon at the top where it belongs it's it's not like just a, a ranking of fruit but it's like a certain metric for fruit uh which i took from i i tried watching some esports and what i took away from it was people judging characters by having like a skill floor and a skill ceiling. Yeah. Mm. I feel like fruit often has uh, like a goodness floor, like a delicious floor and a delicious ceiling. And I, I, I have a sense of different fruits having that where like, as in the, uh, the delicious floor is like how bad it can be. And if something is a high delicious floor, it means it's like, even if it's a pretty bad version of that fruit, it's like, it's not that bad. But if it has a low delicious floor, that, uh it's really it can be really bad and like a high delicious ceiling is just like it can be incredible but a low delicious ceiling is is uh it it's just never that great and i, I feel like pears have an incredibly low floor and an incredibly high ceiling where like a bad pear is completely inedible and it's like just disgusting grainy mush uh and a good pear is like the sweetest, juiciest, most yeah. fruit fruit. 
Yeah, a bad pear is like an apple. Yeah, but worse. It's like a bad apple. Right. But like an apple that's actually gone bad. But pears, like what you were saying about the pear's juiciness is crucial to a quality pear. Like it has to have, it'd be a little bit softer and a little bit juicier. And now I'm trying to envision like an apple that is a little softer and juicier. And that might actually be a quality eating experience. You don't get that sound and that crispness, uh, crispness though. That's true. You wouldn't get the apple sound. That's the that your apple eating uh, og is like whenever you bite into an apple, it just makes that sound for you. Yeah, yeah. I need a I need a, my phone to make a, to play a apple ringtone whenever I bite an apple. <laughs> so ever since Pac Man, I have just assumed that pretzels are fruit because of order. Yes, exactly. Because of the ordering of of the bonus items that uh, the Japanese have a canonical. Uh, iteration like an or- ordering of which fruits are the are the a ranking of fruit with melon at the top. Mm, you're correct that melon is at the top. Uh huh. I feel like I don't know if there's like a fully universal or universally Japanese list, but definitely like melon is the one you give uh your like you give your family to when you're excited that you have a new job or like you give oh. to. You bring to your in-laws' house. You bring a nice melon. You're like, here is my $40 melon. And then they're like, you really cheaped out. You should have gotten us the $150 melon. Oh, but wait. So this is this melon is like incredibly marked up, right? Yeah, but it's like, I my sense of it, having worked on a farm a little bit there, is like that it's, uh, it's marked up in the way that Legos are expensive because like... When they cast Legos, nine out of ten Legos does not fit their code, so it, it like it just gets recycled, and oh, so then it's like they have to be within a certain margin of like really good. But it's, it's just impossible to find the the slightly defective melons. Yeah, unless you go to like the farm outlet, and then you can get like your moderately they, shitty melons that are still incredible. <laughs> the 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 melons that they feed to the homeless. Yeah. I'm curious if their flavor f- ceiling is that high. What are the kind of like B melons like? Like, is there a drop off from incredible hundred fifty dollar melon to nothing, or is it a drop off from god melon to deity melon? Uh, my personal experience is that the drop off is pretty quick. Like the the B tier melons are like are not so great. Like the way in which the B tier melons are bad are like. Oh, it's like the rind is like an extra inch thick, so you just get a less melon. Right. So it's like a pretty good melon, but like much smaller amount you can eat. So I'm looking here at the the list of fruits in Pac-Man, and the order goes cherry, strawberry, orange, apple, melon. And I wonder, is like, do you think that was like developer's personal preference? Or like, did they go to the store and like see which one was more expensive? I've never seen someone give cherries as a gift, but I have seen an apple as like a low tier gift and like strawberries (laughs) as a nicer tier gift. So this does make sense to me. Uh, But what about what about okay, Junior Pac-Man? The order is tricycle, kite, drum, balloon, train, cat, root beer. Well, that's based on how fast they are. Okay, sure. (laughs) Maybe it's how many... Uh, of the thing you can like how many of that thing a child could eat right yes 
because uh, you can like you can feed a child a bunch of like toy trains, mm-hmm. maybe a few cats. Right. So many root beer. Yeah. No, I could eat, I drink all the root beer. The root beer includes the mug. Yeah. I'm curious if the use of the cherry in the first Pac-Man had anything to do with the reason why uh, slot machines use cherries, which I'm now realizing I don't know why that is also. Oh, yeah. I read a book a long time ago on the history of slot machines. Or really, it was on like pinball, but it started with slot machines. And I can't remember. I know that like fruit machines came from something... Okay. <laughs> Maybe it was that fruit were prizes, but then you could sell your fruit as like a workaround for gambling. Sure. This might be entirely wrong, but I'm going to state it as truth. Sure. Yeah. Uh, according to quietskiescoalition.org, slot machine with cherries give the player a feeling as if they are actually sitting in Las Vegas and playing these slot machines. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there you go. They put cherries in it to make it feel like Vegas. This slot machine really evokes <laughs> slot machines to me. Yes. Is that because Vegas is the most cherry-growing region of the world? <laughs> Clearly, yes. They have the most cherries per slot machine. Also, why is uh, there a fruit called the bar that just says bar on it? Is fruit a bar? Are we considering everything on a slot machine to be a fruit, thus making a fruit machine? I yeah. think I think so. Uh, money grows on trees because it's a fruit, and fruit grows on trees. And bar is like a salad bar for a fruit salad fruit. So is the seven a fruit or is it referring to seven fruits? Or is it, uh, yeah. So according to according to professorslots.com, San Francisco banned slot machines and manufacturers turned their gambling devices into chewing gum dispensers. They did this by replacing card numbers and suits with fruit reel symbols. And- is a so, bar supposed to resemble a stick of gum? Maybe it's a bar of soap. Mm. What does the bar do when you get it? I've never used a slot machine. Does it ban? I assumed because it was black and scary that it was like uh, that they banned you, like you're barred <laughs> you're, from the place. You are now kicked out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think um, I don't know. I have I have no idea how it works, but I think you have to get three in a row to win. But like, mm. you can get three bars and win a bar or something. Are we ready for another topic? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Max, your topic is opposite Costco. Yeah. Um, so I don't remember what this meant when I put it in the topic bucket. Um, what could it mean, everyone? So Costco sells things in large quantities for lower prices, assumably, because it's kind of almost wholesaling. So would opposite Costco just sell perhaps like one grape? For $30, relating to our previous topic. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I'm remembering now, actually. This is kind of what I meant. Because I I remember now that it was that I bought a bunch of parsley, uh, and then I didn't use all of it before it went bad. And I was like, I wish I could buy one parsley leaf. Oh, yeah. No, I've I've talked multiple times. This comes up throughout my life. Like, I've tweeted about this so many times, and it's come up so many times on the show. I want to be able to just <laughs> buy just one Andy's Mint. Yeah. I don't, I don't want a big bag of them. I just want one. I want to go to Amazon. Amazon, give me one Andy's Mint and charge me a fair price and send it to me. But they won't do it. I remember when I was a kid, we had a Bigfoot's Cards and Comics near me. Uh, and they had 
uh, the cards and the comics were of no consequence to me. What I was there for was the wall of candy, and you could buy like individual Andy's mints there. Right. And you could buy like, yeah, like candy bars that they had clearly bought in bulk at uh, Forward Costco, and then they were selling opposite Costco style. So Costco and Price Club are apparently the same company. Oh. Uh, and Price Club is named after the founder, Sam Price. But I'm pretty sure Costco is just named after like the, the idea of charging for things, the cost company. John Cost. <laughs> yes, unless there's this coincidentally two people named after uh, economic ideas of trade that they got together. It was like, let's merge our companies. That makes sense to me with some nominative determinism that like, you're like, I'm I'm going to go into business, whatever the cost you say right oh so they those according to this costco is selling the world's largest jigsaw puzzle 29 feet long for 600 dollars. that's so arguably that's one item for a lot of money but also inside the box there are sixty thousand pieces wow so it's either one item or sixty thousand items it's it could be in bulk you're also getting the box (laughs) right i assume sixty thousand and one items Actually, the box is, comes in two pieces, so 60,002. What if they sold, um, there was only 60,000 copies of it printed, and instead of getting all the pieces in your box, you got all of one piece. So everyone who buys a copy of this in the world, they have to trade pieces with everyone else who has it a copy. really bring the world together. That's how you yeah. foster community in your customers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and push this as a UN initiative. That we... I feel like you're describing a Mr. Beast video. <laughs> <laughs> I have only seen, I've never seen a video of that man, but I've, I've only seen uh, scam ads that are pretending <laughs> to be him and are like, if you click this suspicious link, you'll get $1,000. It's I, Mr. Beast. I've, I've, I haven't seen a Mr. Beast video, but I have seen videos that are clearly people trying to bait Mr. Beast into, into interacting with them. There was a guy doing like a speed run of saying Mr. Beast a hundred thousand times. Mm-hmm. Oh, Costco is also selling a twenty-seven pound bucket of mac and cheese. How much is that? Ninety dollars. It says it has a twenty-year shelf life, but I think once you start eating it, you have to keep eating it, or it won't last twenty years. Yeah. Oh, earlier regarding Price Club, I was going to mention. So you you said the founder's name was something Price. Uh, I think uh, it's Sam Price. Yeah. Uh, I believe the term for that is aptonym, where someone's name fits their uh uh their profession like oddly well. If I recall, the the founder of Tito's Vodka is something like Tito Beverage, I believe. Oh no. Um, and likewise, I think Baker's Chocolate is named after someone with the name Baker. Yeah, uh, and German Germans Chocolate cake similarly at mm. that point so it isn't really like in my opinion instead of calling it tito's vodka it should have been like the beverage company's vodka or something like that just called it beverage yeah you're really kind of you're really missing out with that name like what what's even the point at that point uh given this jim what do you think your son will end up doing <laughs> winston um i i think he's going to invent a stun gun Winston Storm Dancer. Yeah. Winston Gun Storm Dancer. You win stun, you lose stun. <laughs> My favorite one of these is the like 
it, it's not quite this, but it's like a semi-anti version of this, uh, which was the businessman Armand Hammer uh, is unrelated to the the company Armand Hammer, the like baking soda company. But right. He, yeah, uh, people asked him it so often, like whether he w- whether it was his company that he ended up uh, buying ownership of the company. Right, like how Doug Bowser had to get hired at Nintendo. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm still waiting for like the like pro wrestling reveal of Doug Bowser is actually Bowser in disguise and is like taking over the company and then is like firing Mario. Yeah. Yeah, firing him into the sun. Yeah. That's why we haven't seen a Mario Odyssey sequel yet. Yeah. Are we uh, ready for another topic? Yeah. My topic is the sweet science. Are you familiar with this term? No. It refers to neurobiology, right? <laughs> it's the sweet science. It should. That would be better. Uh, the sweet science refers to boxing. Boxing is the sweet science. I just found this out like a few weeks ago, and I can't. We were just talking about aptronyms. This is like the in. This is the opposite. This is an inaptronym. The neither word in this two-word phrase can uh, can reasonably apply to the activity that ref- it refers to. Is is sweet one of those words that previously meant something quite different, like nice? I was wondering that, and so I, I googled this. Like I was like, why do they call it the sweet science? And other people, are, other people are clearly confused by this as well because there are many explainer articles explaining – and what they basically explain is that it's a science because it requi- boxing requires skill and you have to stay within range of – like you have to dodge in and out of range of your opponent's arms, et cetera, et cetera. Like it, you need skill to box like every other human activity. None of them talked about what was sweet about it. Maybe None it's just a very <laughs> modern interpretation. Like, oh man, this is sweet punching, right? Yeah, I mean, it, I I am actually into like merging of two completely like anachronistic relative to each other vocabularies into a single phrase. So I could get behind that. The only other context I can think of that sounds similar is like the sweet spot on a thing. Uh, right, which tends right. to refer to like the area you hit on a thing, and so I'm wondering if that's of like a similar source. I could see it like you're supposed to stay in the sweet spot of like outside your opponent's range or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it would be the sweet spot science. Yeah, and I'm I'm not seeing an origin. Uh, just like with a light Google, it seems like it's always been the flavor. Uh. And then the sweet spot or the sweet part of a thing comes from uh, the comparison of like the bitter element of a thing and then the sweet element of the thing. Right. So it's like the honey inside of an apple. Yeah. And then if you punch someone, uh, all their honey comes out. Right. Apparently this, na- this, this phrase was coined in 1813. And the full phrase is the sweet science of bruising, which sounds like a BDSM thing. Did sweet mean in... 1813. Matthew Sweet, born in 1813. Thanks, Google. Okay. So it was probably named after him. Yeah, clearly. The Sweet Science. From, yes. Because Matthew was so good at bruising. Not actually hitting people. He just was easily bruised. Right, yes. So you could see exactly where you hit him. It was like, he's the perfect uh, 
he's the perfect practice buddy because you can see like, oh, like, did I hit a little off mark? And you're like, no, I hit right there. So that's the sweet science where like, because he was so exact at getting bruised, uh, you could punch down to a science. Right. Yes. Hmm. This is fun. I like being a little more fictional on on this show. I'm always making up boxing fiction. Yeah. The surrounding feature of your life. That's right. I I also want to think a little bit more about the science aspect of it, because there there definitely is some science. There's, I mean, I think it's a lot of strategy, which isn't quite science, but there's like physics in, in boxing, and there's probably anatomy, and there's punching. So that's like three types of science. The whole, the whole Yomi thing. What I'm really curious about is, is there the scientific method? Is, is there a step of, I hypothesize I am going to get punched, and then you run like a control versus uh, some experimental methods where you see yourself get punched, you get punched a lot, you punch a lot, and you're always like, oh yes, I, my conclusion is I, my face hurts. I think that makes sense. I think uh, that's definitely a form of 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 interrogating interrogating nature to find the truth. Uh, the gay science by Nietzsche is the other one where I was like, oh, science is like science is being used in an interesting way there. And that was published in uh, eighteen eighty two, and it looks like that translated title was in like eighteen eighty seven. So similar. And... <laughs> When was when was that term used? Eighteen thirteen. Oh, never mind. Scratch my whole I idea. I mean, clearly Nietzsche was ripping off the the journalist who invented who was talking about boxing. Yeah, I was playing uh, the game on my phone, Little Alchemy, recently. Uh, just go, tell us about that. I don't I don't know the word for this, but like it's a combine them up. Like you're given a starting uh, like fire, water, stone, and earth, or something. And then uh, by combining those, uh, you can combine any two things, and then it adds things to your list. Uh, and uh, your 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 goal is to try and like get all the outcome materials. So like uh, fire plus earth, I think is lava, uh, and it becomes increasingly complicated and increasingly just trying to guess what the developer. Uh, is logic for that individual material was I'm, I'm picturing this being like one of the mini games in candy box where you yeah it, yeah mm-hmm. but with like a graphical dragging interface where you're just like you just have like it's like a combined clip art game yeah i'm, I'm kind of into this how so how do they how do they milk the whales uh as far as this one goes i i think you can you can pay for a hint <laughs> I, I'm downloading this right now. Yeah, there's Little Alchemy and Little Alchemy 2. Uh, I've been playing two. I don't know what the difference is between the two. Uh, spoilers for one combination. There's a lot of ways, like an idea of a thought or like an idea of science is philosophy. And then any combination of a profession with itself is also an idea. Uh, and I was fascinated by this conception of what an idea was right um and i was trying to figure out what they meant by that and also what i could combine with an idea because it's still left it tells you whether there's remaining combinations with any material uh which is nice so you know that all the ones that you have available to you can be used for something new i just i just made dust and steam nice is there a end goal to this just to get all the materials it's a very meditative thing i like just kind of sometimes during the day i'll think of 
a possible combination of things. And I'll be like, ah, I think if you combine like uh, what a bird with a bee is, I think you'll get this thing. The talk. Yeah. (laughs) This, so Googling it just brought up the fact that it's also playable in browser. I feel like this is very distracting while I'm recording a podcast, but also (laughs) it feels a lot like if someone- Yeah, I have to stop playing this. (laughs) If someone really liked- like adventure game inventory puzzles, but didn't like the rest of the gameplay and just like combining things in their inventory. Yeah, that's accurate. I love inventory. And seemingly it has the same failure mode as the the adventure game inventory puzzles where you can just get into this mode where you just click everything on everything else. Mm -hmm. Eventually pay money to get a hint. Right. Call the LucasArts hotline 900 number or whatever it is. Jim, was it a dream or a real thing that you had like a like a number to call in one of your games? <laughs> um, the ARG had um, uh, it had my Google Voice number in it, <laughs> which I never picked up. In fact, it never rang any of my phones. It just had a um, it had a uh, voicemail message that was just one of the Frog Fractions voices. Mm-hmm. So it just said me 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 beep, and <laughs> uh, so you could call that and get <laughs> no nothing out of it other than a few seconds of entertainment and confusion, mm-hmm. and that was arguably part of the ARG. Do you know how many people called that? Uh, not zero. I don't have I don't have numbers, but like I would guess that like over the years, like a dozen people left messages. Did you save the messages? I think they're still there unless like, so I think I let that Google number expire because Google kept being like, you're not using this. Can we, can we, can we have it back? And finally I stopped clicking refresh. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure that number now long, no longer works, but I don't know if that means the messages are gone. Hmm. Are we ready for another topic? Sure. Uh, for this topic, we're going to be reading the village and the curious hole. Yeah, so um, this is a short story. Uh, it's a very short story uh, by um, the Japanese author, mainly from the 50s and 60s, uh, Shinichi Hoshi. He tends to do like sort of short fiction. I'm going to be translating slightly different than the version I linked to you uh, because the version I linked to you is just someone remembering the story. Uh, so it's called Oi Detakoi. Uh, which is like someone calling in to something to come out. Um, so one night in a village in the mountains, there was a big windstorm uh, that blew and gusted across the village. Uh, and it knocked down a shrine to the foxes on the hillside. Uh, and the next day, children began to play and they went to explore the hillside. And they see the fallen shrine, as children do, they become intrigued. And they look at where the shrine fell, and they see all the boards, and they climb on the rubble. And they find a hole just at the base of the shrine, a dark hole that they look into. And one child says, oh, it must be a foxhole. And another child grabs a stone and walks towards it and drops it into the hole. Uh, And the other child bats at them and says, hey, don't do that. You might hurt the foxes and shouts into the hole. Oi, tatakoi. Like, come out, come out. And, but they all also listen 
for the stone as it falls, but they don't hear it hit anything. And so cautiously, they shuffle a little sand into the hole and they don't hear anything. And so they lean in and put their heads close to the ground. Uh, And after one child almost falls in, they go get their parents and the parents look at it and they look at the shrine and uh, the old priest comes and looks at it and says, oh, we should rebuild this. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we should investigate this hole first, though. And uh, some of the local construction workers come and they try and measure the hole, but they run out of measuring rope. And so they uh, try a uh, ultrasonic measuring device and that doesn't seem to work. And eventually they get the local university to come and they try and measure the hole, but they can't seem to find the bottom. So they just kind of shrug and they're like, well, you can fill it up, I guess, and, you know, rebuild. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we should do that. So they start filling it with concrete and they fill the hole and fill the hole. And eventually they run out of concrete and they look into the hole and it's just as empty as it was. Then the local sketchy garbage man comes and says, hey, don't worry about it. I can take care of that hole for you. Uh, Perhaps I can pay the city a little and, you know, take care of some things at the same time. So it eventually becomes the garbage service and uh, things just go into the hole and the shrine is long forgotten as all the garbage just goes into the hole and they take care of all the city's garbage and the city continues to grow and prosper and they're able to profit off of all taking garbage of all the surrounding cities too. And they start a nuclear uh, reactor and they have great energy from that and they test out a little bit and they can safely dispose of waste into the soul. And eventually it's so uh, useful that people just kind of forget it's there and the city grows and grows until one day there's a businessman on his way to work. And as he's rushing forward, a rock nearly hits him on the head and lands in front of him. And as he looks up to see where it came from, a voice echoes. Oi, tatakoi. And that's it. So that man was the hole. <laughs> he was the hole the whole time. Wait, so is this is this a story of portals? Is this like the the garbage all fell is gonna like it's it's just falling continuously from the sky and eventually it's all gonna land on the city? Or if they aim the aim it right, it'll land in the hole and just fall infinitely. Yeah, they just need to funnel it back into the hole, I guess. But uh yeah, this author is is kind of in the same time period as writing for like American sci-fi and adventure stories and and the precursors to like the Twilight Zone and things. Uh, and it's like of a similar vibe, but it tends to be like a little more cheerful, but in a in a still dark way. Right now, I'm just thinking about very deep holes. Mm-hmm. I think the deepest hole, the man-made hole, is still the Kola Super Deep Bore, uh, which I believe was a Russian just experiment to see how deep they could dig. I'm not entirely sure if they were trying to find anything from it. I think they were just trying to see the largest hole or deepest hole that they could make. I don't know if it's deeper. They they did like a a very fine uh, core sample to like the sub-Antarctic Ocean where they, they cut through the ice to the deep, like the, the ocean beneath. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how deep that one was. What would you throw into a hole? My whole life. Was that a pun? Uh, not on purpose. I mean, that's just, just a, I was just making a commentary about housing costs in the Bay Area. Ah. 
I could if I could live in this hole, that would be incredible. You would have like a zero gravity house because it'd be in free fall. So you could have if you if you had them drop your house with a parachute into the hole. Mm-hmm. And then uh so you're just going through this wormhole and falling continuously, we assume. I I guess you probably wouldn't be falling for that long, the way this works. But if it was just a really deep hole through the whole earth, so your house fell through the core of the earth and out the other side and did that thing where it like exactly stopped on the other side and then fell back the other way again. <laughs> and so your your house would just continuously uh, be falling and you would just get brief moments of gravity every like 45 minutes. Yeah, that seems like it's uh, seems like it's pretty doable. An engineering feat that is entirely plausible and like and likely to succeed. Yeah, and probably costs less than housing in the Bay Area, am I right? <laughs> in the Bay, do you have problems with sinkholes out there? Uh, not that I'm aware of, but I don't really read the local news. Have you ever experienced a sinkhole firsthand, Quill? I have not, but the the story did kind of remind me of, uh, are both or either of you familiar with Centralia, Pennsylvania? No. No, no. This was something that, I forget exactly when it happened, but... Uh, a child was playing uh, in their yard and almost fell through the ground in what initially seemed to be a sinkhole, but uh, it was extremely hot and kind of like uh, once it started caving in, uh, smoke started coming up through it. And uh, it became immediately apparent that uh, Centralia used to be a uh, coal mining town. And somehow at some point, the remainder of the coal inside of the uh, the mines caught on fire, uh, which left a large amount of this kind of unburnt fuel uh to just burn for i feel like it's been going for on for at least 40 50 years now um maybe a little less maybe a little more it's a nearly deserted town now i believe there's still maybe 15ish people that uh that don't want to move away from there but uh it's just kind of known as this town that is permanently on fire uh if you go there there's areas where uh, especially in the cold you can see uh steam or smoke rising through like cracks in the ground uh it's interesting to go there during the winter because there will just be areas where uh snow doesn't uh doesn't settle because it doesn't melt uh and i believe it's estimated to burn for a decent amount more time and there have been conversations on how to actually put this out but i don't think any of them have been found to be like cost effective enough to uh for them to do anything about it. So it's just a weird central Pennsylvanian uh tourist attraction or ur- urban legend sort of thing, but you can go out there and see it. It it's not that interesting. It's kinda cool. Yeah, yeah. I've I've definitely so I didn't re- recognize the name Centralia, but I definitely remember that hearing about that phenomenon. And it really does seem like it's almost like a something about it's almost like the weather there is just always on fire as well it feels like what that category should be i feel like it's probably not that safe to breathe around there i'm really curious how that affects the weather nearby yeah isn't there another place that's in like uh central asia where there's like a hell mouth that's been burning for a long time because of natural gas like just coming up through the sand i'm not familiar with this but that sounds extremely plausible (laughs) Mm. It does sound rather hellish. Thanks, Hellmouth. Thanks, Hellmouth. Thanks, Hellmouth. Did you say Central Asia? In Turkmenistan, the Darvas gas crater is also known as the Gates of Hell or the Door to Hell. The Door to Hell has been burning for decades. 
<laughs> only decades. Yeah, you know, this is a, this is a very creationist viewpoint. Hell's only like 50 years old. That'd be a good sign to see from one of those like people that carries a big sign around places. It's like, hell is 50 years old. Yeah, they, they invented it in the 70s. It, yeah. It was, it was rock and roll's fault. <laughs> so I assume the two of you are also looking at pictures of this. From aerial, uh, aerial views, it looks oddly, like surprisingly circular. I was expecting something a little bit more volcano like craggly rock looking but it just kind of looks like a circle i guess that's the appeal of something like this that kind of makes sense to me in terms of like from uh living on the coast and having like seeing uh like sand pits form they tend to radiate they like start a kind of craggly shape but as they get bigger they become more even uh and you ah. get some like very surprisingly circular holes just from uh just the uh, average distribution, I guess, and like yeah. the way that it drains. Maybe this is like how craters are always exactly circular, even though presumably the meteorite hit the moon at different angles. Yeah, like a really, really slow impact of fire. Right. That also makes sense because the close-up pictures, it definitely looks rockier, cra more craggly, but uh, from far away, I guess that all gets kind of smoothed out into this... Very nice looking circle. Thanks, Hal. You're very pretty. A nice little circle. Aw. Yeah, thanks again, Hellmouth. Are we ready for another topic? Yes. Yeah. Max, your topic is Baloo the best robot. Yeah. Okay. So I found a link back to Bal. Here's a video that you can just silently have playing in the background. Uh, and um, listeners, I assume you will go to the show notes and see this robot. But I will describe it. Yes, they always do this. It's, it's a robot... Uh, that is a, a large helium balloon uh, of the type that you might get at the grocery store where it's kind of metallic, but it's just like a big square or like big rectangle. It's taller than it is wide. <laughs> right. And um, it's got little stick legs. And that's the part that is like electronic is that there's these little servos on the very ends as the little feet of the legs and the little servos bend the legs and the legs are just like thin little sticks because... All they have to do is hold down the balloon from floating away, not hold anything <laughs> up. Uh, and so it walks like a little cartoon character and it's uh, neutrally buoyant in air. So it just kind of walks along the the ground uh, with no weight. So if you were like judging its animation cycle for walking, you'd be like, wow, this like this looks like it weighs nothing. You really need to add some more force in there. Uh, but it's just a little robot and they demonstrate abusing a robot in the Boston Dynamics way of knocking it over and things. Uh, and it just bounces back up because it's a balloon. Right. And it's real cute. It, it looks like one of those mechanisms that don't need intelligence to operate. There's just some very simple uh, mechanical process making the legs move. Yeah. Oh, like a like a strong beast. Yes, like that. Yeah, that should also go in the show notes. Yeah. But I think they actually do. I think it is like remote controlled, like like there's an Arduino in there or something. Yeah, having read the paper, it's not uh, like it is It is controlled, but it is like a pre-prescribed motion most of the time. Okay. It doesn't have, um, I think they've, they've worked on it and it can like self-stabilize and try and correct to a position. Uh, 
but yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really need too much of that. Yeah, if you're so if you're listening to us describe this robot, you really need to take a look at this video because that's ninety percent of the value here. Yeah, is it's just real how cute. goofy this thing looks. This is a great video. I like the random clips of other things. I really recommend yeah. everything from this lab. It's it's such a good having worked in robotics, and I'm like, this is the this is what you want to be doing. Uh, it's so good. They have another robot that is it's like a more conventional robot, uh, but and it's it's a walking one. But it's what if you had two legs and they were aligned with each other rather than being side by side, and they face in opposite directions. And it's just also a ridiculously goofy way of locomoting, right? Where it's kind of well, like sidling like a crab, but at high speed. Is that the one where right at the very end of this video you can see it in the background? Yeah, yeah. No, are these for something? What are these for? <laughs> <laughs> they're they're fairly pure research. Like this is the type of thing where you're exploring locomotion, and you possibly put a grant out where you're like, oh, it could be search and rescue, or like, right. yes, and and then. You just flip a bit and then it's search and destroy. Like you fill the you fill the balloon with hydrogen instead instead of helium, and then whoever you're trying to search and rescue just blows up. But I love that this one, it's fairly benign. And like even in that case, right? It becomes like a comically like video game enemy where you're like, ah oh, god, I have to shoot these little stick robots with bubbles before they get to me. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's and it's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, I mean all they needed like the I th I think this Video is just one step short of perfect, and which is that they should have put googly eyes on it. Yeah, yes. yeah, they put googly eyes on the other robot, and they they really should have on this one. Oh, maybe they thought that was played out, mm. or maybe that weighed it down too much, so it wouldn't work anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the goal of robotics should be to make the goofiest little guy, and I think this is this is optimum robotics. I also like in the video they have what looks like. CG renders of how it should walk, but yeah. instead of the body being like the kind of rectangular uh, balloon, it's just a big red sphere. Yeah, that's physics. <laughs> <laughs> it's approximately a big red sphere. It's just a silver uh, rectangular prism. <laughs> or I guess it's kind of a triangle thing. It's like three balloons. Listeners, you see it already. You you better have seen this video. The design of it makes it reminds me of certain like electrical components which makes me think that like especially watching it walk around it looks like it wants to just walk up and teach me how conductors work you're like hello i'm baloo the capacitor <laughs> i am most likely to fail on any given circuit <laughs> it does it has a very capacitor oh maybe it's because it's it looks like a of nylon balloon that it does kind of remind me of combination of capacitor and also lithium ion battery that's about to explode. <laughs> <laughs> this is the ghost. This is the Pokemon that's like it's a ghost type Pokemon that's a lithium ion battery that exploded. This is the exploded cell phone ghost. Also I like that this robot can skateboard. It very cool. Yeah. I it can skateboard in the way that like have you seen, have you, either of you seen those like videos where it's like a traffic cone skateboarding? No, but that sounds very <laughs> cool. <laughs> I don't think so. I'll try and find it later for the show notes, but it's like, it's not CGI and it's, it's just, um, them sending a traffic cone on a skateboard over and over until it happens to stay on the skateboard and do somewhat of a trick 
<laughs> and then yeah. they like cut it together into like a a real quality like early 2000s skate vid but like of of this uh traffic cone is there ska i think there is sometimes at least my brain fills it <laughs> in if there's not i i like this a lot i like this idea of instead of inventing a robot that's actually going to skateboard just put a robot on a skateboard and make it go enough times that you get some good footage yeah this is how skate videos are actually made yeah but you put a, a human on it right the in the the actual like what what skateboarders are good at is not skateboarding it's they they're good at taking falls without getting that badly hurt mm. also what you're describing does kind of sound like i forget the name of it but there was a uh, I believe a uh, hydrogen-powered vehicle company that turned out to be an absolute scam where they uh, uh, had a video of one of their trucks going down the road that was supposed to be completely hydrogen-powered, but it turned out that they just towed it to the top of a hill and let it kind of uh, just you know, coast down a hillside. I feel like the idea of just putting a robot on a skateboard and taking videos until you have enough footage is probably enough to get venture capital funding for a robotics company <laughs> yeah <laughs> jim can that be uh the topic lord's first uh company oh man uh is, is topic lords is is it now in a startup incubator yeah it could be i mean as long as i don't have to put any cash down I'll, then... I'll put like i'll put like 20 bucks okay i'll put in 20 bucks i can put in I can put in uh, like 10. I've got 10. All right. All right. So we go to Fiverr.com. Yeah. And we can hire 10 people to to make videos of traffic. So, or you know what? We could just take the existing video of a traffic cone during skateboarding tricks and show that to the venture capitalists. Yeah. Say, we just saved 50 bucks. Great. I'll go, I'm going to go tell my wife how excited I am about my new startup. Someone made. I have breaking news, which is okay. that someone has made a uh, a video game based on this cone. The cone is called Coney Hawk. Good. <laughs> and now there is a video game being made of Coney Hawk, which is the skateboarding. Hey, we need to sue those guys. They're taking our idea. Yeah, we have fifty dollars to hire a lawyer now. That's right. Let's go on Fiverr. <laughs> Can you? <laughs> What's the best I'll, lawyer we on Fiverr? I'll, I'll pay you to take the bar exam. <laughs> oh, that's what bar stands for. Oh right. no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Actually, that's how you. That's how you used to get your your law degree. You you went to the slot machine. You put the money in until it came up three bars. Funny thing about that. Do you know where the term bar exam comes from? Uh no. Mm -mm. So I always assumed that it was an acronym for something like some sort of tester or whatnot. Turns out it just refers to the literal bar separating like the court from the onlookers of the rest of the court and just saying that like once you pass the bar exam, you can literally pass this physical bar allowing you into this area of the courtroom. It seems like it should be apocryphal, but as far as I can tell, that's actually what it refers to. Wow. That's yeah, that's very, very simple. It was actually named for Barbara Exam. <laughs> and that's all the time we have for Topic Lords. <laughs> uh, Quill, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? 
the next time there's a really bad storm, find a hole in the ground and write a message and drop it down the hole. It'll eventually get to me. Or back to yourself. And Max, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? If you a stone falls in front of you and you hear a voice from the sky, you have to throw something up into it. And that's how you get to me. Also, I believe you're both on the Topic Lords Discord. Yeah. Oh, that's what we're just... Wait, that's what we're describing. How do you use <laughs> Discord? Oh, oh my, my mistake. You can also email me uh, at maxx.infinity at gmail.com. Or you can hire me. That's the way you can talk to me. Uh, please give me a job. Please give Max a job. Give Max a job. I just want a little job. Just some job. Yeah. A little job as a treat, you know, every now and then. Thanks so much for being on. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Thanks, Jim. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!